welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Happy Epiphany. You don't hear that very often, do you? Happy Epiphany. I remember the first time I heard that word, I was like, Epiphany what? (laughs) But it means an unveiling. The best way I I think I can explain this is, if anybody remembers the game show, The Price is Right. Anybody remember that show? With Bob Barker and the microphone that was that long? It's when the contestant walks up on stage and she's standing or he's standing in front of this this doorway, this screen, and Bob Barker would always say, Johnny, tell her what she can have a chance to win. And they open the screen, and it's a brand new car. And she understood what was happening. There was a revealing. And that's what happens this evening. There's a revealing of Jesus, an unveiling. It's like the Father saying, hey, world, look what's on offer. God has been made flesh. The Savior has been born. The long-awaited one is now among you. And that brings a whole new meaning to life. We see that in this reading from Matthew, three different responses to this unveiling. And these three responses still go on today among us, maybe all three simultaneously in our lives. And the first one uh, we see is King Herod. These guys arrive. Hey, where's the king? We've come to worship him. And Herod's response was, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. He, and get ready for some very good preacher alliteration. I worked very hard on alliterating, (laughs) alliterating, antagonistic anxiety. That's what Herod displayed. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. He was so troubled that a little later on, he kills every male child two years old and younger. This man has problems. He is worried and distressed about something great. What was his problem? This little baby's coming to take something that's mine. And I know you're sitting there. I never do that to the Lord. But raising four children, I've come to realize at least two things. And they're all here tonight, so I get to embarrass them. One's in the nursery, so you can embarrass her later. I've come to realize two things. For certain. Mine is their favorite word. Number two, the only thing they will share freely is their cough and their cold. (laughs) But we love to keep things. We love to think things are ours. Sometimes God will push us in a place where he wants us to give something. And we go, God, I can't give that. That's mine. We're acting just like Herod. This little baby's going to take my throne. I remember one time, man, I was all into guitars. I mean, I had stuff. 
I had collectible stuff that I wish I had to this day. God said, get rid of it all. I said, God, these are collectibles. These are my collectibles. Some of them you can't even find anymore. Some knuckleheads got my collectibles today. He challenged me to get rid of it all. And I tried to reason with God. Well, you're the one that gave me the talent to play to begin with. Why do you want me to get rid of all this stuff? Because I thought it was mine. Just like Herod felt the throne was his. Just like we think our time and our money and even we ourselves are ours. The gospel epistle writer says, don't you know, you were bought with a price? You are not your own. But I have come to realize there's one thing that is mine. My cross that I carry daily. That is one thing you will never wrench from my hands because I have seen that that cross is the tree of life. That cross is where I die and Jesus lives. Herod was full of antagonistic anxiety. I have a hard time alliterating, excuse me. English is not my first language. I failed in English class, by the way. The second group of people we see are the chief priests and the scribes. Herod comes to them and says, guys, where's this boy going to be born? And they clamor around and they say, well, you know, he's in Bethlehem, 13 miles away. And did they dare make a move to go see? They had a very apathetic attitude. Man, we don't have, I don't really care about that little baby because I'm a chief priest around here. I'm the scribes. You know, we've got stuff to do. We've got temple duties. We've got manuscripts to copy. We've got sacrifices, animal, cereal, and wine sacrifices to take care of. We've got psalms to chant, prayers to offer. We've got to interpret the Torah for these people because nobody understands it. Man, we don't, I don't really care what's going on in Bethlehem because you know what? I'm too busy right here today. I know nobody in here has got a busy life, though. But for those that you know that may be busy, please pass this information on with them. We live in a multitasking age. We're trying to eat our cereal in the morning, flipping through our emails. Drinking coffee, trying to catch up what's going on our social media pages. Is that what they're called? I don't know. Sites? We drive and... We've got our phone connected for those people that have new cars uh, some way, but to the radio. And we're talking to the radio and it becomes a text and it sends that text and that text is read back to us through our radio. And we're doing all this while we're driving down the road. We've also got errands to run, deadlines to meet, people to see, food to cook, clothes to wash, kids to get to the after school activities. That's a glimpse of my life. And in the busyness of trying to exist and juggle and shuffle life, in the passing moments on the run, we think about Jesus once in a while. It's nothing new. 
Anybody read the Song of Solomon? That's like one of my favorite books, man. That's like the book. <laughs> it's nothing new. Listen to the description in the first part of Song of Solomon. My beloved, behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, peering through the lattice. Do you get the picture? We're all, she was all busy doing her thing, and Jesus just outside like, wait. We're busy. But we can't be apathetic toward Jesus. Because a little later on in Song of Solomon, which has always been Jesus' love for his church, Solomon writes these wonderful words, and I love the fact that I think this is Jesus speaking to his church. His response to our busyness and our distractedness is this. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. The word captivated means made my heart beat faster. Okay, guys, remember the first time you saw your future wife? You remember? Can you remember that far back, Father David? <laughs> You remember the first time you laid eyes on her? I remember the first time I laid eyes on my wife. And about an hour later, I was walking down the street, and I told the director of the school, I said, I think I'm going to marry that little lady. Why? She made my heart beat faster. There was something about her that captivated me. And it's her birthday, by the way. But that's how Jesus feels about us. He loves to even get a glance from our eyes. That's how much he loves us. And in the busyness of life, Jesus wants to be right there in the middle of that busyness. He doesn't want to be on the outside peering through the lattice while you try to live your own life and struggle with everything you got to struggle with. He wants to be right there in it with you. And that's good news to me. Because there are days, almost every day, probably every day that ends in why, I really need Jesus to help me get through that day. So we've got an apathetic anxiety. We've got uh, antagonistic anxiety, apathetic attitudes. And what about the magi? Whether there was three or 30, we don't know. There's three gifts. But they offered Jesus something phenomenal. Attentive action. These guys, and we're not sure how far they lived away, but it could have been anywhere from a 12-week to a two-year journey one way. Think about the logistical nightmare they had to deal with. It wasn't just three people. It was a whole caravan of people. There were tents to take. There was food to provide for. There was security. There was supplies. They were carrying three extremely lavish, expensive gifts that any robber would love to rob. But they 
gave Jesus attentive action. They responded correctly. And for us this evening, how can we respond correctly to the revealing of Jesus? We can learn from the three, well, the Magi. I won't say three. We don't know for sure. The unnumbered Magi. How about that? Over field and fountain, we unnumbered kings have traveled. But the first thing we see, and I know you really don't want to hear this first application point, because I didn't want to hear it. These men met God in the midst of their work. I know it. That hurt me. I want to be in the retreat house. God, show me yourself. I want to be on top of the mountain. Lord, show me yourself. Or better yet, I want to be on St. Andrew's Golf Course in Scotland saying, Lord, show me yourself. Now, God ambushed them in the midst of their work. Work. They were scientists, astrologers, doctors, working for very wealthy leaders of countries. And in the midst of their work, they saw the star. I have on my desk at the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission a quote by the famous Oswald Chambers. And I want to share this with you. If we will do the duty that lies nearest, we shall see him, Christ. One of the most amazing revelations of God comes when we learn that it is in the commonplace things that the deity of Jesus is realized. Your co-workers that are hurting, you'll meet Jesus right there. That, that person that you work with that just needs a little boost of encouragement, not sure where his life or her life is going. You doing a good job. You'll meet Jesus doing a good job. He gave me that lesson when I had to wash dishes. And I said, God, why am I in here washing dishes? I feel like I'm a little smarter than a dishwasher. Me, I'm getting all puffy headed. And Jesus replied very clearly, because I care about clean dishes. They met God in their work. When they got sidetracked in Jerusalem uh, with their logic, where if they're coming to meet a king, where will the king be? Where the throne is. The throne was in Jerusalem. Makes logical sense. They come and they and ask where wait, we kind of got sidetracked. We're in Jerusalem. We're looking for this king. Have you heard about him? No. What did they do? They found their way by consulting scripture. They called the scribes and, and them and then they found out, oh, it is written in Bethlehem. And in our lives, they we always need to turn to the scriptures for direction. These men went to the written word to find the word in flesh. And for us, we don't really need a positive uh, statement. We don't need an encouraging thought. We need to know what God has said. Because there's one thing I have learned about Scripture. It's always right. 
Whether society says it's wrong, it's always right. And it never, as Isaiah said, will come back empty. It will always accomplish its purpose. And so when we encounter situations, we may find ourselves lost or discouraged or disgruntled or upset or confused. Don't just fly off the handle and let your emotions dictate what you're going to do. Let me find out what the Lord says. They met God in their work. They found their way by consulting scripture. They, when they finally reached Jesus, number three, they gave themselves in worship first. They bowed down. For them, that's a big thing. These are men used to affluence, opulence, gold everywhere. They knew what it was like to be awed by everything that man could build and do. And they come to Bethlehem, a little town, to a house of a carpenter named Joseph, and they see this young child sitting in the lap of Mary, and these men bow down to him. He didn't have a crown. He didn't have a throne. He didn't have fancy clothes. By all appearances, it looked like the son of a carpenter. But they gave themselves first to that little child. They worshiped him. They bowed down, a symbol of giving their life. And Paul wrote many years later and said, I die daily. That's the worship. What does that mean? It means that our life is about one man, Jesus. It means that we live for the audience and applause of one. I just gave you a clue to get you out of trouble every time. We live for the audience and applause of one, Jesus. After they gave themselves, number four, they gave the gifts they had. Yeah, they were valuable. I wouldn't mind having a little bit of gold. Frankincense is not as valuable as it is now, as it was then. Myrrh, they were all very lavish gifts. They gave what they had. And in the church, do we give what we have? Because the body of Christ is only as strong as every part supplies. I know you guys don't know me very long. Probably long enough. I don't know. It's going to be hard to believe. I am not good at everything. It's good you were sitting sitting down because I know that's a shock. I am not good at everything. In fact, I can probably count on one hand the things that I am good at. That's okay. Because Charles is good at something that I'm probably horrible at. And when he supplies that gift, when he gives that gift, then what I can't give, he gives, and it makes up for my lack. And I probably have a gift that makes up for his lack. I'm just picking on him because he's like right in front of me. 
He's in the line of fire. But we have to give what we have. Because God invested gifts in you for a reason. To use for his glory. So tonight you are left with a few options. And I ask you, have you had any antagonistic anxiety over Jesus asking you something? Have you had an apathetic attitude in the busyness of life? How about a little attentive action? Jesus is revealed. The revelation demands a response. And I pray that we all respond with the Magi and do whatever he asks us to do. Go wherever he asks us to go and say whatever he asks us to say. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.